the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. In Sunday morning Bible class not long ago, we discussed the excellent virtue of hospitality, which God highly praises and frequently commands. It is with both Abraham and his nephew Lot in mind that the epistle to the Hebrews says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. The strangers that Abraham and Lot entertained, they treated as the least of their Lord's brethren. They served, therefore, as models for us today in doing what our Lord Jesus so solemnly and even gratefully commends. For those who journeyed, they offered rest and other kindnesses. They fed them and washed their feet and served them, and in the case of Lot, also defended them from shameful mistreatment. Jesus received their hospitality as though it had been done to him. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Indeed, in the case of Abraham, it truly was the Lord he served, though his Lord needed no service, since it was the Lord Christ himself, although only taking the appearance of a man, who was among the three men who visited Abraham under the ancient oaks of Mamre. And indeed, in the case of each one of us, this same Lord Jesus, who once so kindly deigned to receive the hospitality of Father Abraham, and who now fully shares our human nature, now promises that what we do for the least of one another, his brethren, is done to him. This morning, we will therefore consider this excellent virtue of hospitality and why it is so earnestly impressed upon us throughout Scripture. Love for the wayfarer, the pilgrim, the stranger and the outcast, the foreigner, our friends, and even for our enemies. That is the love our blessed Savior God reveals in his own incarnation and throughout his earthly life. For he who came as our brother and Lord came as a stranger to a wretched land filled with curses and death in order to rescue wretched sinners like us and to bring us with himself to the end of his journey. While we were still his enemies, his strangers, and far off, Christ died for us to make us friends of God. If saints before us have unwittingly entertained strangers, unawares, our old Bibles put it, then we saints in these latter days must be all the more aware. We should quite wittingly be ready to entertain our Lord Jesus we do this by showing fervent love and kindness to one another, as the Apostle Peter tells us today in 1 Peter chapter 4. It is the love of Christ that covered a multitude of our sins, and so as partakers of his sufferings and heirs of his glory, we are also imitators of his love. 
This love we know from Jesus will cover a multitude of each other's sins too. If there is hidden honor in having entertained angels unawares, and what a thing to imagine, huh? Who would not want to discover that he had actually done so, right? Well, there will be very open honor and public reward for how we have knowingly served fellow Christians. For this is what it means to entertain. It doesn't mean to indulge with frivolous amusements, as we use the word entertain today. It means to treat well. We still use this word this way when we speak of entertaining guests. You serve them and make them comfortable and welcome. It doesn't mean you have to sing and dance. You make them feel at home. As a matter of fact, this word for entertain strangers is where we get our word for guest. The word the Bible uses for entertain strangers and show hospitality is the exact same word and literally means lover of guests, lover of strangers, lover of foreigners. It's all the same word. In fact, and I think this is pretty fascinating, our English words for guest and host also come from the very same word. As do our words for hospital and hotel, as well as hostility and hostage, and even ghost and ghastly. They're all the same word, all derived from the same word for stranger. It's also interesting to me, because the definition of the word really depends on one's perspective, and perspective is what we need. Whether something is bad for us and against us, or good for us, despite initial appearances. In our Old Testament lesson, and in our epistle lesson, and in our gospel lesson this morning, the Holy Spirit teaches us what perspective to have. And he gives us a new perspective. We are taught what perspective to have as hosts towards strangers on one hand, and on the other hand, what perspective to have as strangers ourselves. Unwelcome by the unhospitable hosts of this hostile world. You see what I did there? Those are all the same word. Both lessons teach us not to be surprised when we are treated poorly by those who regard us as enemies. Through Moses, God repeatedly commanded his people to treat foreigners well. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And he quickly repeats it in the next chapter, Exodus 23. You shall not oppress the stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In this oft-repeated command of God to his people in the Old Testament, God would stir up love by reminding them of their own personal experience of needing love and receiving love. You know the heart of a stranger, he says. For you have been one. Have you been a stranger? Perhaps some of you have. In some literal sense, maybe you have traveled abroad and learned loneliness of a unique kind. Maybe you are yourself from a faraway place and still feel this loneliness from time to time. 
From being the new kid in school to immigrating to a new place with different customs and language. Or even perhaps joining a church that is at first unfamiliar and even feels unwelcoming. All such personal experiences as these might be useful to draw on when considering what it means to be a stranger and how you ought to treat a stranger. We should all know, I think, what it means not to feel fully like a part of the group. But there is, of course, a deeper personal experience that we must all learn to relate to. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul teaches us that we were by nature children of wrath, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But God, who is rich in mercy, St. Paul writes, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this means that we who are by nature worldlings, cursed and dying sons and daughters of Adam, we have been made children of God, children of heaven, by pure grace. We have been sprinkled with clean water by the washing of regeneration through water and the word. We are given new birth and a new origin. We are made citizens of a foreign land, inaccessible to flesh and blood, so that our native earth itself becomes something other than our true home. Think of that. St. Paul continues, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, foreigners from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And a few verses later, Paul concludes, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's all from Ephesians 2. What a wonderful promise. Having been born from above through the sacrament of holy baptism, we who are of God and no longer of this world, yet even though we still live in it, yet we know where we are going. And this is where that need for perspective comes in. The word for stranger and enemy are really the same. And this is not without some justification. It is self-preservation, isn't it? If you don't know for sure that you can trust someone, you have to tentatively treat him as something like an enemy, at least something neutral, right? Or at least the option is open. The word for stranger the Bible uses is xeno. We hear this word used in English today with the word xenophobia. Those who distrust foreigners, either cautiously or maliciously, are called xenophobes, xenophobic. It's a sort of a modern slur 
This commands, the commands of Moses are urged, or are used frequently, even by nominal Christians caught up in anti-patriotic political ideology to support the idea that a nation should have open borders and should welcome in all who want to enter so that we as a nation might collectively fulfill this good work of loving the foreigner. And if you don't want to be invaded, you must hate the foreigner. Have you heard this? Well, it isn't wise. Isn't it wise, though, not to immediately trust those who do not share your customs and loyalty? Is that some sort of sin? Is it a sin to notice the differences in behavior or even in looks, let alone language and customs of other people? Well, of course not. It's wise to be opposed to people coming that you don't trust into your home, right? You'd be more likely to feel comfortable with a stranger in your house if he didn't just climb through the window and make himself a bed, right? Well, so it is with a foreigner. By going through the legal process, a foreigner makes the first sign of goodwill that he means no harm. The word for stranger and enemy had always been used interchangeably because of this. Host and guest regard each other with prudent suspicion, since either one may be hostile or hospitable. Time will tell. In the meantime, the host must be gracious, the guest must be grateful, and in time, the host learns to accept the differences of his guest, and the guest learns to adapt to the customs of the host. True xenophilia, that beautiful Bible word for hospitality, love of the stranger, the host, the guest, love for the foreigner. This love then binds the two together once trust is established and commonality is formed. And I'd like to think that our beloved country is a shining example, at least in history, of how this can happen. But, of course, this does not always happen. Sometimes the cultural rift is too deep. And as Christians, we should be very familiar with this. This is our world. We are born in it. We live here. We have loved her. This is where our fathers and mothers have been buried. We admire its history and seek its prosperity. And as we do, we find that we are nonetheless treated as enemies of the state, of civilization, as hostile guests. Jesus told the apostles that this is how they would be treated in the world. They'd be put out of the synagogues and even killed as though it were service to God. And who does that make you think of? The earthy always persecutes the heavenly. Sometimes there is no way for two nations to see eye to eye. They must simply rather remain in their allotted spaces and leave each other alone. We pray for this, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, right? And as it is with households, so it must be with countries. But if two such nations are already living in the same place together, as two such men are already living in the same home, what if host and guest occupy the same house and remain hostile to each other? This is how it is for the church. 
within the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We do not praise the gods that this world praises. We do not seek the righteousness that the world, this world boasts in. We do not sing the praises of human pride. We sing the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what St. Peter famously writes before our epistle lesson this morning. Those familiar words, you are a chosen priest generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You don't belong to this world. He says of us that we were previously not a people at all who did belong, but just, just by his grace, he says that we are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's the exact same point that we just heard from St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. St. Peter then writes, as we heard a few weeks ago, and this is from 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Well, this explains everything. We are strangers, foreigners, and even enemies of the world. We live here, but we are passing through. Should it be such a strange thing that we are treated as strangers? These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And so we do. We remember that we will be treated as our Lord was treated, who came as a guest into this hostile world. But he came to save it. He came to know the heart of a stranger. He came to have compassion and to welcome us into a better commonwealth and fellowship than anything the world can offer. He knows the heart of a stranger. He knows how our hearts are tempted to be praised for our own righteousness and indulged with our own pride and satisfied with the passing pleasures of this perishing world. He knows the envy, jealousy, and insecurities of our hearts. He knows our frame, that we are dust. He came as a guest to a perishing world. He came to bear the sins and all divine wrath against it. He came to raise us up with him and to exalt our flesh and blood by grace. He who appeared to Abraham, taking only the appearance of a man, it's what we call a theophany, a divine appearance. He who once received the kind hospitality of Abraham in order to warn him of destruction nearby. For a great outcry had been heard in heaven on account of the sins of Sodom. This same Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has now appeared to us. Not taking the mere appearance of a man, but becoming a full partaker of our human nature. Joining it to himself in a personal union with our flesh and blood forever. True God and true man, as was promised to Abraham, and which he believed, and which faith was counted to him as righteousness. His seed, this Jesus, came to us not to enjoy hospitality, but hostility, not to be served, but nonetheless to serve, not to warn of yonder destruction, but to bear imminent fire from heaven in our place as we sing, in fervent love was roasted.
Heaven had heard this outcry as well. An outcry against the sins of all humanity, but greater than the outcry for justice was the outcry for mercy. Through the prophets, God's Spirit had taught his sojourning people to ask for mercy, and God heard it. How long, O Lord, how long? He came to answer the prayers he told his people to pray. If God's anger kindled against the sins of the earth, greater more was the burning compassion he had for us. He, the eternally heaven-born Son of the Highest, humbled himself and was born of a virgin on earth. He was called a Samaritan for a reason, a foreigner, a stranger, an alien. But he came to bear this ridicule and rejection in order to bring us what can only come down from his Father of lights. He wins for us righteousness that can only be fulfilled on earth. He dwelt among us. He knows the heart of a stranger because he became one for us. He knows what tempts us, what haunts us, what hurts us. But by making us heirs and citizens of his homeland in heaven, he gives us the same heart of a stranger as well. He makes us strangers here, and we bear it, knowing that whatever fiery trial must try us cannot be the wrath of God, but can only serve to purify us and teach us to look to God who answers prayer. He gives us hearts, therefore, that long to be freed from earth's destruction and hearts that look in mercy upon fellow sojourners and strangers. And for this reason, St. Peter urges us today to be hospitable to one another. What seems to us, because it's nicely translated, like just another list of virtues to pursue in our epistle lesson this morning, struck me as quite significant, and it is. Consider what St. Peter tells us to do with the meaning of the word in mind, since it is the same word used in Hebrews 13 regarding entertaining angels unawares. Entertain strangers, Peter says. Entertain one another as strangers without grumbling. Know each other as strangers. Treat each other as strangers. Know each other as ones who do not belong to this world, who are tempted by the lies of this world, who are tempted by the pride of this world, who have personal failures and temptations and want to identify with this world. Know each other as such, as sinners, and do so without grumbling. But why would we grumble? We grumble because we resent the sin we have to cover. But Jesus teaches us to willingly forgive and bear with each other by teaching us willingly to suffer as strangers in a strange land. He replaces our hearts not with some heavenly material that makes us something else. No, because when God became man, he did not become something else. He became one of us. And so he removes our hearts of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, real flesh. Flesh like what God assumed to redeem us. He gives us a heart like Jesus who shares our flesh, who honors our flesh, who in our flesh and blood reigns in heaven, intercedes before the Father for us, sends us heavenly food to eat and drink, 
Greater, therefore, than entertaining angels. Greater by far is to entertain those who share the flesh and blood of God and who know it. Those who know they are strangers on earth. Those who know that their highest treasure sits at the right hand of the Father. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that Jesus is more devoted to than our flesh and blood. It is a higher honor by by far. Therefore, to love one another, to forgive one another, to come to Bible class together and get to know one another, to rebuke one another, correct one another, listen to one another, knowing that we all are strangers tempted to rejoin the world, but to admonish one another and comfort one another with the truth by which we ourselves have been comforted. This is by far the greatest honor we can show to God because it is the greatest honor he promises to receive. In the meantime, as we continue our pilgrimage together, we entertain one another, not by indulging or flattering or gaining favor for ourselves. No, we entertain one another by being serious and sober in our prayers together, teaching and admonishing one another in spiritual hymns, songs, and songs. And in our pilgrimage to find Jesus, we need not go far. We go to where he continually serves us with his body and blood in the sacrament that gives to us peace, which even now reigns in heaven. So that in the breaking of the bread, we recognize our guest as our gracious host. And in the breaking of the bread, we also recognize one another as dear friends of Christ and co-heirs of salvation through him who has loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.